My son, Asa. <clears throat> yeah. Let me tell a little story about Asa. I've lived in Helen, West Virginia for 32 of my 43 years. Okay? I've driven over Tams Mountain thousands of times, I suppose. Well, one day we were driving home, and we were at the top of Tams Mountain, and Asa said, Daddy, this is not the right way home. I'm sitting in the front seat with the steering wheel in my hand. He's sitting behind me directly in this monstrosity of a car seat. Somewhere Rebecca McKay says yay for car seats. That <clears throat> just seems like a lot to me. But I look back and I'm like, what do you mean, buddy? He's like, this is not the right way home. This, we're, this, we're, we're, we're lost. I'm looking, I'm like, I've, okay, how to respond to this? I said, brother, I promise we're not lost. Yeah, we are. This is the wrong road. It's the wrong way home. We're not going the right way. Like, okay, um, you can believe that if you want to, but I promise we're going to be home in 6 minutes and 28 seconds. I've driven this road enough to know how long it takes from the top of the mountain. We're not going to get there. We're lost. We're lost. I don't know why that popped into his head. I don't know what. It, but I do know that his perspective was different than mine. He had a limited perspective. All he could see basically was what was to his left out the window. He could see his sister on his right hand, and he could see the seat that I was sitting in in front of him. That's all he could see. So his perspective was bad. And regardless of my efforts to... Reassure him, Daddy knows what's going on. Daddy's driven this road before. He wasn't convinced. Of course, he fell asleep before we got home, so he may still think we were lost that day. I don't know. You ever just had a bad perspective of something? You ever been in a, like a blinding snowstorm driving home and got disoriented and didn't know where you were? I remember when we lived down on Saxon Road... I was pretty familiar with that road too, but man, it was snowing so hard one night, I had to open my door and look out at the road so that I could see it. And I didn't know where I was, literally. I knew that I was on the right road, but I didn't know where in the world on the right road I was on. Our perspectives, how we see what we see, when we see things we're not familiar with, when we see things that confuse us, when we're strapped into the car seat and can't see the road... We start to wonder, don't we? What's going on? Where are we? And how many times does that perspective, that thought, bleed into our relationship with God? We don't see the road. We don't know what's on the path up ahead. We may have been there a thousand times before, but we're going, God, I'm pretty sure we're lost. And God says, no, we're not, buddy. Sit back. Rest. I got this. Today I hope that we can reorient ourselves to the bigness, to the mystery, 
and the power of God. If you're feeling lost this morning, if you're feeling abandoned, if you're feeling like God just doesn't know what's going on with you, i got good news for you today. Would you stand with us? We're going to read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. And I always hope that the Word in and of itself is sufficient, but I also hope that you'll hear echoes of the songs that we've sung this morning as we get into these words and you're going, oh yeah, yeah. And you can kind of resurrect some of those emotions and that God would birth new ones in you. As we read the Word, again, I would say to you guys and to myself, these are the very words of God Almighty. So let me read them. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank You for... Your Word, thank You for Your people. Thank You for Your Spirit. Father, thank You for the Son. And thank You for Your love that surrounds us, guides us, empowers us, and calms us when the seas all around us are at a tempest. God, would You today show us as much as You can how big You are. And may we rejoice in it. Let me ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Hmm. So, we will start in verse 33. And we will get past the first word today. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable... His ways. You just got to love to say inscrutable. Whether you know what it means or not, inscrutable. Yeah, we're going to get there. (laughs) So we did spend adequate time last week, I think, on the O at the beginning of this verse. So let me just say O is an interjection to show deep emotion from the outset of the statement being made. And what is the expression of emotion after this outburst of emotion at the beginning. What Paul is trying to express after so much being seen and shared over these first 11 chapters is the deep, 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 deep wonder at who God is. What's his reaction to all that we've seen over this past year and a half? He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, there's a lot in that statement, so we're going to try to unpack it, break it down. First, by way of quick overview, Paul is expressing awe and wonder at what? He's expressing awe and wonder at God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. And what is the mode of measurement that he's using to describe These riches. Depth. Depth. Oh, the depth 
You got to love to say that too, right? Yeah, depth. He said something different in Greek, and we say depth. PTH, PTH. We sang last week and this week, and that was on purpose, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. What is inferred in the thought of something being deep? What do you think of when you think deep? I think of the ocean. Anybody ever seen the bottom of the ocean? No, you haven't. (laughs) Because there are parts of the ocean that are literally so deep, no light ever gets there. And what was it in Nemo, Finding Nemo, that one? They were telling the story about how Marlon and Dory had crossed the ocean. And that one guy says, it's wicked dark down there. (laughs) Wicked dark. And it's true, it's dark. Wicked dark. I found a a website, um, geology.com. That's novel. On that website, it says, The deepest part of the ocean is an area called the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench to the northeast of Australia and south of Japan. On the website, they say that in 2010, the United States Center for Coastal and Ocean Mapping measured the depth of the Challenger Deep at 10,994 meters. Now, let me give you the, 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 the imperial measurement there. 36,070 feet below sea level. 36,070 feet below sea level. Now, we've talked a lot about Mount Everest, which is the highest peak in the world, right? If Mount Everest were placed at this location, it would be covered by over one mile of water. That's wicked dark down there, y'all. That's deep. What's down there? I don't know. I think they may have seen a few things here and there, sent some, but the pressure builds up. You ever had the bends? Anybody ever heard of somebody getting the bends? They're descending down and like the, the air in their blood system starts bubbling. They say, take me back up, take me back up. We're not meant to dwell down there. We don't live down there. We can't live down there. It's too dark. It's too deep. Deep. We can't see it. We can't even imagine it. There are creatures down there that we've never seen up here and will never see up here in the light. It's beyond us. You get what I'm saying? Paul is marveling at God and how we really don't even know what's in Him and all that He contains. And he mentions three things that are deep in God. Riches and wisdom and knowledge. Let's think about those for just a bit. First, God has riches that are deeper than we can know or comprehend. Now, do you know that? You ladies need some money to go overseas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know somebody who's pretty rich. (laughs) And it's not me. Most of us are probably familiar with that passage that Don read at the beginning, Psalm 50, about God owning the cattle on a thousand hills. Is that all He owns? In that passage it says He owns everything in the world. The world and all that is in it. But is that all that God owns? This little speck of dust floating around in the universe, does He just own what's on 
earth. Well, no. <laughs> Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. God owns everything. Everything. Subatomic everything, cosmic everything. Heaven of heavens, everything. It's His. It belongs to Him. And what this equates to is that to God belongs everything everywhere. Now let me ask you, can you grasp that? No, you can't. We think our governor is pretty rich. Jim Justice, rich guy. He owns the Greenbrier, y'all. That man owns the Greenbrier. He bought it. That's rich. Donald Trump, our president, billionaire. That's rich. And you would think he'd be able to do something with that hair. But <laughs> Warren Buffett, rich. Billionaire, multi-billionaire. Bill Gates, rich. Bill Gates was named the richest man in the world for the 18th time in 23 years with a net worth of over $86 billion. $86 billion. That's a lot of money, y'all. But listen, <laughs> their type of rich is nothing in comparison to the wealth and the riches of God. God owns all that Bill Gates has. Wait, God owns Bill Gates. God owns everything and everybody and even what we don't know or see, even at the bottom of that trench above Australia. He owns those crazy looking angler fish that have that light thing coming out of their head. That look like they would eat you. And not only does he own them, he made them. Calls them by name. Calls the stars by name. Every one of them. How many are there? I don't know. He does. And, and I don't understand that. And neither do you. I promise you don't. And I promise that I don't. I promise that Paul didn't. That's what makes him wonder at God and His riches. Oh, the depth. You ever been somewhere in some deep water and you can't feel the bottom and you just wonder, how far does this go down? Better yet, I don't want to know what's under my feet right now. Oh, the depth. What else is in this exclamation? Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, I skipped wisdom. I'll get back to that in a second. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I'm, and I'm pairing these up because they're so interrelated to each other. What is wisdom and what is knowledge? Knowledge is what you know. Knowledge. Knowledge. The Greek word is gnosis. G-N-O-S-I-S. -S, which sounds like geonosis, which is where the Jedi were surrounded. I don't know why I said that. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, which is mentioned, we, we mentioned several weeks ago when we were talking about gnosis and epinosis. Remember that? It's been a few weeks ago. Gnosis is knowing facts about something, and epinosis is knowing the truth of something by experience. Kind of like what we talked about last week with Louis Giglio and Mount Rainier. But the factual information is knowledge, and God's knowledge is deep. He, now are you ready for this? 
Are you ready? He knows more than us. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. He knows more than us. <laughs> he knows more than we can know that there is to know. He knows things that we don't even know are knowable. And not to know that God has this type of knowledge can actually be sinful. Psalm 73, 9-12. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase their... They increase in riches. That's a weird combination, isn't it? Can God know? And we'll increase our riches. Basically, they're stealing, extorting, embezzling money to make themselves rich, and they're like, God doesn't know that we're doing this. Well, guess what? God does know. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They're saying, God doesn't know what we know. God doesn't know about our evil schemes. God is ignorant is what they're saying. But listen, saints, God does know. How many times does the New Testament show that even Jesus, who was truly God and truly human, knew what people were thinking or knew what was in men's hearts? God knows. And He knows a lot more than that. God knows everything humans can know and even more. And you're like, okay... I'm going to write that. That's not all. God's riches are deep and His knowledge is deep and His wisdom is deep. So what's wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge that someone possesses. I can read an instruction manual on how to put something together, but seeing how to do it and knowing the right steps doesn't mean that I can do it. That's stupid... Furniture they sell at Walmart. Are you kidding me? I can read the instruction manual and still not have a clue how to put that stuff together. Wisdom is shown in how I apply the right information about something. I can know how to best organize my office and create a workflow and have apps and spreadsheets with all the data lined out, but if I can't put all of that information and innovation into action, I do not have wisdom. What book talks about wisdom the most? Proverbs is right. 46 times in 31 chapters, Proverbs mentions overtly wisdom. And it says that wisdom is an important thing to get a hold of. Proverbs 8.11 For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Do you hear that, young men? Because that's so much of who Proverbs is talking to. It's for all of us. But there's stuff you want, isn't there? Wisdom's better. So we should really desire wisdom. Well, what about God's wisdom? Can God effectively apply all that knowledge that He has in His head? To make Him like us for a second. The answer is yes. Yes, He can. His wisdom is deep. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. And now I want to ask you something. 
What's the best way to see and know the wisdom of God? New Testament tells us, Colossians 2, 2 through 3, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know what God knows? You want to see wisdom displayed, God's wisdom displayed? Look at Christ. And Christ is a mystery. You think you understand everything about Jesus? You don't. Chase your whole life, and you should, but you're still not going to plumb the depths of who Jesus was, what He did, everything that He brought together, all of history culminating in one person in first century Palestine who carried my sins to a cross, bore my punishment upon His body, died, was buried, was resurrected, we said this morning, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. you understand that? i got about this much of it. I've got the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And that's just what I can see above the water. What's below the water is... This guy, this man, Jesus, is God's wisdom, God's knowledge embodied. So you want to gain wisdom, you chase Jesus Christ with everything you got. And you still are not going to find the bottom. Ever. It's wicked dark down there. God's knowledge and His wisdom are contained and shown in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can know about Jesus. We can know Jesus. But we can't know Him comprehensively. And here's the good news. That's what eternity is for. Throughout eternity, we will grow in our knowledge of Him more and more and more as we move through our eternal destiny. There is no end to the depths of the wisdom and or the knowledge of God as shown in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth indeed. How deep are they? Look back at the end of the verse. And this is where I want to settle in for just a minute. Or 15 Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. After marveling at the depths of God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, Paul then says this staggering, sobering statement. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Just in case you may have thought that you might be catching on and figuring God out. Just in case you might think that maybe He's just a little bit smarter than us and that we might be able to just settle into all of this information and figure it and Him out, then think about this. God's judgments are unsearchable and His ways are inscrutable. What's that mean? We've talked about wisdom and knowledge and how these two things kind of go hand in hand and proceed from each other with wisdom proceeding from applying knowledge. Now look at judgments and ways. God's judgments are unsearchable. What's that mean? What are judgments? Judge not lest ye be judged, right? Don't you judge me. 
What are judgments? Judgments are, are conclusions or decisions of what's right or wrong. They can also be used in a sense of determining guilt or innocence, right? The judge says guilty or innocent. In this passage today, God's judgments, God's judgments should be seen flowing from His knowledge and His wisdom. He knows all the information. He is wise in how to apply that knowledge. And then He decides the plan that flows from that wisdom and knowledge. He judges what is right and wrong. And those judgments, those decisions are unsearchable to us. We can't search and find out how God arrived at His judgments. Why? Because He has all knowledge and wisdom and we don't. We're sitting in the car seat behind Him. Daddy, we are lost. No, son, we're not. Daddy, the world is spinning out of control. No, son, it's not. My judgments are past finding out. He knows all the information. (laughs) He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And it's unsearchable to us. We can't search and find out how God arrived at His judgments. Why? Because He has all knowledge and wisdom. And guess who doesn't? I don't. You don't. And then after seeing that His judgments are way beyond our reach, we see that His ways are inscrutable. Ways. Ways are patterns of life, patterns and mindsets on what to do and how to do it and why it's done that way. And God's ways, God's habits and patterns of doing things are what? They're inscrutable. What's that mean? The King James nails this here when it says, How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Inscrutable means past finding out. We can't find out why and how God does what He does. John MacArthur says you can't unscrew the inscrutable. That's funny, y'all. His ways are past our ability to find out. Did you hear me just say that? Why does God do what He does? I don't know sometimes. And I can't figure out why. I look back through the Old Testament and I'm thinking, that's nuts. I'll look at the news sometimes today and I think, that's nuts. And what do we all... If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. (laughs) You're right. You sure wouldn't. I'm right. I sure wouldn't. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Man, we've seen this 20 times in our study of Romans. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you understand that? Do you get that? You're not God. He is. And we cannot figure out His ways. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Kids, teenagers, adults... God is bigger than us. He's like, yeah, I know that. No, 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 no. God is bigger than us. God is smarter than us. 
God is more powerful than us. God is wiser than us and we cannot figure Him out. When we look back at chapters 1-11 through in Romans, there's a lot that we can marvel and wonder at and take in and understand. We can understand some things about God, can't we? We can see that we're sinners and that God made a way for us to be saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. We can see the blessings of being made right with God in chapters 5-8. through And we can see that the text in chapters 9-11 through clearly say that God is sovereign in election and man is responsible for his actions and has a responsibility to obey God. But can we simply trace those lines and say we understand how God does all that, why God does all that, or that it makes perfect sense to us? I'm going to be honest with you. I vacillate between two extremes here. I either think I completely understand God or I despair and think I'm never going to understand Him. That's usually where I'm, I'm not. The muddled middle would be great, but I'm not. So many times I just cocksuredly say, Yeah, God, I got it. I got you. I got you. Or I say, God, I just I don't get it. Almost to a point of despair. And is that frustrating? Yep. It is. Does that make God wrong? The answer to that is no. And I'm about to say something that I want you to engage with me. If you're dozed off or if you're in left field for a second, come back to me. Come back to me. Eyes right here. Okay, look at me. I can't look at all y'all. But all of y'all can look at me. Okay? I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. We are called to both understand God and understand that we don't understand Him. Did you hear that? We are called to both understand God and to understand that we can't completely understand Him. You may say, well, that's impossible. And I kind of agree with you. Listen to this. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And then read that in connection with Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. So boast in the fact that you understand me, but you don't understand me. You can't understand me. Now what's up here? Is that a problem? Is that a contradiction in the Word of God? Because all as I've studied this Romans passage, I keep going back to Jeremiah. You're, you're, you're telling me that I should boast that I understand you. And then you're telling me that I don't understand you and can't understand you. That's rankled me. That's bothered me. God says to understand Him. And then Paul says His ways and His judgments are unsearchable and inscrutable. And I would say to you, it's not a contradiction at all. Look back to that Jeremiah passage. 
Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. So he's saying don't boast in who you are or what you've got, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Now if he left it there, we would be in trouble. But what's he saying that we need to understand? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. Can I understand that God is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth? Can I understand that? Amen. Yeah. When I'm confused and wondering what's going on, I can come back to the fact that I understand and I know and I am sure that God is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. When I'm questioning God and His ways and I don't understand, I can come back to the truths that He is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Now how those things work out, no, I can't fully understand. But the foundation is there and I understand it and I can place my feet. God, I don't understand what you're doing right now, but I do understand who you are and that you practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth and that you delight in those things. So while it may look unloving, God practices steadfast love. While it may look unjust to me, God practices justice. While it may look like the unrighteous are winning, they're not because God practices righteousness in the earth. And not only that, He delights in those things. So when I'm confused and disoriented and I'm on the top of Tam's Mountain and I think I'm on the wrong road, I can stop and say, wait a second. I understand that though this is confusing to me, God, you're in control and I know who you are. I understand how you operate in general. I understand that. Does that make sense? Can we know how and why God does things the way that He does them? No way. Does that mean that we can't understand anything about God? No way. We can understand that He is good, that He is holy, that He is love, that He is wrath, that He elects, that He holds men accountable for their actions, that He is uncreated, that He creates, and a bunch of other stuff. But can we understand how all that is working together? No, we cannot. Not a chance. But does that exclude us from worshiping Him? Hopefully not. Just because, he and he, just because He has ways and means that we don't understand doesn't mean that we can praise Him for what we both do and what we do understand and what we don't understand. You can praise God and worship God for what you do understand. You can praise God and you can worship God for what you don't understand. Some of you guys may be very mechanically minded, but how many of you know the intricacies of how your vehicle works? You put the key in that slotty thing, you turn it, magic! Actually, it's science. Power is turned on, shoots power through this line from a battery to this mechanism that starts spinning real fast, that starts your gears turning. It's not magic, but if you don't understand it, it's like, wow. You may not understand how those vehicles work, but you can drive them. 
That's better if you do understand, by the way, young men. But we can worship God for what we do understand and we can worship God for what we don't understand. We can worship God for what we like and we can worship God for what we don't like. Can you come to grips with the fact that there are things about God you don't understand? That there are ways you can't figure out and even things you don't like and still honor Him? Glorify Him and worship Him in the midst of all of that? Because that's exactly what Paul is saying. Oh, the depth of God's riches, wisdom, and knowledge. His judgments and His ways are beyond us. We can't figure them out. And so we worship Him. Now why would I say that's what Paul's saying? Why would I infer worship out of all this? Look at the next two verses. We won't spend nearly as much time in them as we have these, this first one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Now these verses are three separate quotes from the Old Testament. We're not going to go back there. Uh, Verse 34 pulls from two different passages. The first half being from Isaiah 40, 13. And the second half is from Job 36. You want to get messed up, go read Job. Mess you up. And verse 35 is from Job 35.7. And what Paul does is he kind of mashes these things up, brings them together to bring into focus for us that we don't know the mind of God. We don't counsel Him and we don't give anything to God in an effort to put Him in a position to where He has to pay us back. What's He own? He's pretty rich, right? He owns everything. So what could we possibly give him that's not his? I could give him my heart. (laughs) He owns that too. Put all these thoughts together and think about them for a second. No one has known the mind of the Lord. You get that? That's what verse 33 was all about. We don't have nor do we know what is in God's mind. We don't counsel God. We don't counsel God. We don't tell Him what He should do. Let that sink in for a second. We don't tell Him what He should do. And we don't do things for God so that He'll do things or give things to us. That might change your quiet time tomorrow. Well, God, I read my Bible. Great. And I think understanding the fact that we don't counsel God, we don't tell Him what He should do, we don't do things for God so that He'll do things for us, I think if we put these things together, it's monstrous in our view of and our pursuit of God. God is, from these Old Testament passages, just these tiny little fragments here, God is greater than us. God is outside of us. God is smarter than us. And God is not a debtor to us. Listen to what I'm about to say. God owes us nothing. Not even an explanation. Wicked, holy, right, wrong, clean, dirty. God owes us nothing. Nothing. 
Even if He gave us an explanation, we wouldn't understand it. I really tried to convince Asa that we were on the right road. It was a futile task. Mine was made up. He was set. We're going to be lost forever. Now we left the Buckland's house one day and I thought we were going to be lost forever. That was an adventure. Wrong turn, Jason. (laughs) I'll tell you that story later. Whoopsie. But even if God gave us an explanation, we couldn't understand it. But remember, I said that Paul is saying these things should lead us to worship God. Now you may be sitting there going, what? Why would I say that? We're going to take just a quick dip into verse 36. This is where we'll be in two weeks. We're going to finish Romans 1 through 11 in verse 36 in two weeks after Alan's here next week. I couldn't just tack 36 on the end, but I could pull from it to tell us how all this leads us to worship. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Side note, I saw something yesterday that made me realize that I'm pretty old. I saw Amen. The old Randy Travis song, Forever Never Amen. 30 years old this week. Side note over. So let me just say from this verse today that the end of this doxology in verses 33 through 36 calls us to do what? Calls us to give glory to God. To Him be glory forever. After all the amazing, systematic, clear doctrine of chapters 1 through 8 and the dizzying, mystifying, and to us confusing, seemingly conflicting things and thoughts in chapters 9 to 11, we are to do one thing, and that is to give glory to God. We are to worship God for who He is and proclaim to the world that He alone is due glory and honor. Now again, we'll cover this particular verse more in depth in a couple of weeks to finally wrap up Romans 11 specifically and Romans 1 through 11 generally. But for now, I want to call your attention to the fact that a God who exists in clearly understandable precepts and principles demands glory. And a God who has passed our finding out and can't be understood demands glory. We are to glorify God for what we understand and for what we don't understand. We worship God for His revealed attributes, every one of them, and we worship God for the hidden secret things that He doesn't share with us. You get the cart and the horse. You get the functionality of a computer and the intricacies you can't understand in it. You get grace and you get wrath. You get election and you get man's responsibility. You get known and unknown. You get all of God and I promise you don't get that. You can't. And that's the way that He's designed it. And He did not ask for your permission to do it that way. There is no authority above Him that He could confer with with us and to us for us to inquire to. He wouldn't say, go talk to the priest, maybe he'll help you figure it out. Because the priest is going to tell you, you can't find it out. He is God and there is no other.
Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's the God that we are to worship. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know that He watches me. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He knows that my mortgage is delinquent. In Him is healing and wholeness, and yet we struggle with cancer. And we worship Him. We worship Him. God tells us some of what He is doing and we are glad. But He does not tell us everything. And we give Him glory. His riches and His wisdom and His knowledge are deep. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. We don't know His mind. We are not His counselor. We haven't given anything to Him that would force Him to have us, force Him to pay us back. And the glory, all the glory is His. All the glory has been His. It is His and it will be His, period. So how should we live as we consider this? Three things, and these are not even close to alliterated. First thing, as by way of application... Listen to me. You need, have to, is necessary, without question. You have to know and you have to understand that God is sovereign. You're just like, well, how's that an application point? Let me tell you what, when the world is spinning out of control, when the doctor hangs his head before he walks in the room and talks to you? When the vehicle's broken down and you don't know what to do? And you start to ask the question, God, do you know what's going on here? The sovereignty of God is a soft pillow that we can lay our head on and rest. God, I don't know why things are happening this way, but I do know that you are in control of every atom of everything that's happening to me. Sometimes that's frustrating. I'm going to be honest with you. That's frustrating. God, you know this and you're letting it happen. He says, yes. Daddy, we're lost. We're on the wrong road. No, son. We're not. I, I, don't, I don't recognize this. This doesn't make sense to me. Something's wrong. No, son. Lay your head on the back of the car seat and go to sleep. I'm driving. I've got this. We're going to make it home. Think about the disciples on that lake and the storm broke out. Where was Jesus? He's in the back asleep. What? We're dying. Peace, be still. 
Can I take a nap? I said we were going across the sea. Oh, ye of little faith. It will mushroom your faith if you understand that God is sovereign. It may not help all the time. It may frustrate you. But trust Him. Understand that He is sovereign. Rest in that. God is the uncaused cause of everything. Everything. So understand that God is sovereign. That's point one. Point two. (laughs) Understand that your understanding of God or lack thereof in no way adds to or takes away from His glory. But God, you're not making sense to me, so so what? He's seated on the throne. And the angels still circle singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. But God, I don't understand. I know you don't. And I'm just as glorious today as when you thought you did understand. The angels, holy, holy, holy. Glory, glory, glory. The the temple is still filling with smoke. So your understanding or lack thereof in no way diminishes God's glory. So how's that an application point? Again, it calls us back to a place of rest. When the election turns out, In a way we didn't imagine. God's sovereign. And God is full of glory. And He will not share that glory with anyone else. So I can worship Him for His glory. Even when I don't understand. So understand that God is sovereign. Understand that your understanding of God, or lack thereof, in no way adds to or takes away from His glory. That's that's all fine and good. Point three, last one. (laughs) Understand what you can about God, but understand that you don't understand God. Now if you're writing that down, I'll read it again. If you're a Pennsylvanian, understand what you can about God, but... Understand that you don't understand God. Now, how does that help us? How does that an application point? Let me reread the passage that we looked at today. Think about this, okay? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Jeremiah 9, Let he who boasts boast in this that he both knows and understands me. Understand who God is, look at the world around you, understand that you don't understand what's going on, but then bring your gaze back to what you do know and understand about God so that you can be properly oriented to the things going on around you that don't make any sense whatsoever. When the layoff slip comes and you're going, now what? Now what? God, I understand 
that you are a God full of steadfast love and you delight in justice and righteousness and you will carry them out on the earth. I'm going to need some help with that right now, God, because this doesn't feel right. Let me tell you something, church. Your feelings will lie to you. Your tiny, finite mind will lie to you. So understand what you can about God. Know the truths. Know the precepts. Dig into your Bibles and say, God, I want to know you as much as I possibly can. But I also understand, God, that I'll never understand it all. We can know what we need to know, but we can't know everything, and that's good. Romans 8.28. Sound familiar? And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. You need to know that. Because when things happen that you don't understand and that are confusing to you, you need to remember God is causing this to work together for my good. Cancer, car trouble, late mortgages, I ain't got no groceries. God's working this for your good. Well, it don't fill my belly. John asked me this morning, he said, we sang and Mr. Smith said that God's all we need. Is that true? I said, what do you think? He said, I don't think that's true. I need clothes to cover my body. I need food in my stomach. I need a place to lay my head at night. So is God all we need? Go your way, be warm, be filled. God bless you. I don't understand, but I do know, I do know that whatever situation or circumstance I find myself in, God is causing it to work together for my good. I understand that, even when I don't understand the situation. Now, let me tell you the good news, the good news part of you not being able to understand everything. Last passage we got. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know why it's good that you don't understand everything? You know why it's good that you don't know everything? Because God is able to do more than you even know. And when I understand that, The things that I don't understand get a lot smaller in the scope of the overall view of who God is and what God's doing. God, I don't even know what to ask for. Good, because I can do more than you would ever ask for, more than you could ever imagine. I can do more than you will ever understand. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. His ways are past finding out. They're inscrutable. And that's fantastic news. And we get to live a life of not understanding, but yet understanding. And giving Him glory and honor with every breath that we take. He is able to do that and so much more. But that's not all. According to the power... At work, where? Within us. To Him be glory, where? 
In the church. In the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God, the other God, not another. He's other. He's not of us. He's different than us. We can't figure Him out. We can't understand everything. His ways are inscrutable, but at the same time, His power is at work within us and His glory is in the church and in Christ Jesus. I don't understand that, but I sure do like it. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You are able to do far more abundantly than all that I could ever ask or think. And the way that You do that is according to the power at work within me, within us. And the way that You're going to show Your glory, have Your glory, display Your glory is in the church. And Your church is the body of Christ. Has been and will be throughout all generations. God, I thank You. I praise You that Your ways are past finding out. I thank You for the depth of Your riches and Your wisdom and Your knowledge. I'm glad that Your judgments are unsearchable and that Your ways are inscrutable. I thank You that I'm not Your counselor. I thank You that I have never given You a gift that You should repay me. And I praise You, God, that from You and through You and to You are all things. And I praise You and give You glory knowing that to You belongs the glory alone and the mystery that I don't understand is that Jesus said in the book of John that the glory that he had with you before the foundation of the world he now shares with us in the church God that's way bigger than I understand and I'll never understand it but I praise you for it and one day when with the ransomed in glory, His face I at last shall see. It will be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous and how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. God, You are big. You are glorious and You condescend to dwell with me. (laughs) Oh, God, may we not yawn at these things. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? And this benediction is about Him and not me about Him and not us this morning. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to Him be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.